Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of When I Grow Up. On today's episode, it's my pleasure to welcome Calvin Chung. Hey Calvin, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for joining me today. Good, I'm, I'm, it's a pleasure. Um, well, Calvin, you are here to tell me more about what you do. So without further ado, um, Calvin, what is it that you do? So I'm a physician assistant and I uh, practice in uh, oncology, specifically hematology oncology. I work in a uh, large community practice in Orange County, California, um, in community hematology oncology. So I treat patients with a variety of uh, cancers, uh, anything from breast to stomach to uh, colorectal, lung cancer, blood cancers, and I do that, um, and including some research as well. And I do that in a clinic and in a hospital setting. Awesome. Um, so I have had a PA on before, but this PA oh. that was on, uh, she was an urgent care PA. Oh, okay. Um, but I, I would imagine it is a lot different. Um, so could you kind of take me through maybe, I mean, I'm sure every day is different, but maybe a typical day for you? Well, a typical day would be I get in at 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. on a day gone at 8 a.m. I work as a PA, a physician assistant or a physician associate. We work under a direct supervisor or attending, which is a MD. And that MD, um, I see patients on behalf of that MD. We share responsibilities. And I may be instructed uh, normal day that we have a shared patient panel of maybe 30 patients for the whole day. And we get in around 8. Our first patient comes in at 8.30. I chat with her about the patients on the panel for the day and we kind of divvy up the schedule. So I'm helping her out in a way. Um, I would imagine that there are a lot of patients to see. Yeah. And uh, a variety of them coming in um, either are in first day of treatment and diagnoses that they've gotten the diagnoses and we're carving out a plan for them mm-hmm. um, or they're halfway through their chemo and we're checking up on them or they are finished with their treatment and they've been finished for a couple of years now we're kind of following them surveillance so every day is kind of different for me mm-hmm. so there may be a day where I have just a lot of follow-ups these mm-hmm. patients have been cured of their breast cancer or they're in surveillance. Um, they've been finished chemo for a couple of years and we chat and see how they're doing. Um, or I am have to be the, if they're starting chemo, I have to know, I have to be kind of there. They're anxious. Um, they have a lot of questions. I have to be their guidance. Mm-hmm. Or if they just received their diagnoses, I have to help them understand um, what their plan might be to move forward. Mm. Uh, generally, I see the those cases about planning of when to the first diagnosis is left to my doctor. Mm-hmm. But my role in is in 
usually helping the long-term follow-up patients and the patients going through chemo and really uh, just being a guidance for them in that time. And it's it takes a lot. To, you have to be able to find strength into able to read a person, uh, read a room, and right. encourage them to ask questions because patients don't know and uh, what to ask and really can ask them how are they feeling. Mm. So um, a lot of my work isn't done with the surgeon's knife or really a stethoscope. It's really just listening. And that's my favorite part is just learning about a person um, and learning about who they are as a person and what they're like and dislikes. Um, you know, it's interesting to me that you say that, that last piece, because the last PA that I had on, um, she said that she felt like as a PA rather than an MD, she kind of has a different perspective and also her approach on um, talking to patients is a little more personal than it would be than with the doctor. Do you feel that in any way? Yeah, I think um, we're allocated a little more time um, Mm. with our patients. Um, I think doctors do have, in, in my practice, we're allocated to a lot more time uh, okay, a lot more time with our patients, about 30 minutes per patient. Mm-hmm. And it gives me time to, I mean, that's 30 minutes to read the chart, talk to them, and finish a note. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that time that I, we have, you know, I get, I read little clues about them, I ask little things about them, and I get to know them. And that is what makes, I think, my, I like oncology so much is because you end up knowing the person. You see the person for follow-up, they come in follow-up for every three months. If mm-hmm. you're there for a whole year at the practice, you see them four times a year. Mm-hmm. So you get to learn a lot about their background um, and who they are as a person, what they're going through. And you have to empathize, and but you also feel a connection with them. Yeah. 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 So where, whereas other practices where I've been to urgent care or other medical practices I don't think I get that connection sure and I like that personal connection and I would say um, just having that personal connection makes you feel like you're really having an impact of why I became a PA in the first place wow that's amazing can I ask you at what point I'm totally like I'm not familiar with this uh, field of medicine at all or any field of medicine really (laughs) <laughs> but but um at what point do like do the do does a cancer patient come to your office like you know you said you see all kinds of different cancer patients but do they always get the diagnosis from you guys first or do you get yeah. an asking yeah, yeah yeah i totally understand so um generally um when you see us as an oncologist mm-hmm. um you have already received the diagnoses. Okay. So um, an internal medicine or any regular doctor, if you go to the ER, God forbid something happens to you and you find out this, I'm not the, their first of them saying you have cancer. No, that's not us. Um, but any of those doctors who say that, then 
they refer their expertise to us. I see. So you, you know, if you, you, you are coming to me with the knowledge of cancer and that's it. You don't know the treatment plan. You don't know. You really are, um, you don't know much except for unfortunately what patients Google. Mm. Um, and we're, because what we are there for is we are there to guide you through that you have cancer this is what you're going this is what's going to happen okay so um a lot of it's not that big thing that i think patients come in they already know um or in a rare circumstance we do work it up when say you do have this cancer but we are the people with answers because most of the time when you see another doctor, they would say, well, we're going to make you see a specialist. See. That's us. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if you can imagine somebody giving the diagnosis, then say you're going to be referring to a specialist like me. So they refer to us. And then, um, and then you will help them come up with next steps towards either. Yeah. Um, you call that getting better i guess <laughs> yeah in a, in a sense um or even really telling them you know the truth uh be yeah. honest that hey this this is something that won't be curable mm-hmm. um and then we try to though i say i try not to avoid the word cure i try to say we're trying to live with it because cancer is a mm-hmm. um is a chronic issue um you have to manage these things um, whatever way, however it's presented. If it's, a, if it's isolated, yeah, we can talk about the C word or cure word or someday, mm-hmm. but we talk about the treatment first. Um, and we, if it's unfortunately a lot more cancers, we see even there's, they get to us, they are already kind of maybe 30% incurable. And we try to talk about, you know, improving that quality of life and what kind of life do you want to live with this cancer? We can mm-hmm. read you the numbers, but, you know, having them understand this is the card we're dealt with and this is the options available. Okay. I mean, okay. So I would imagine these are very emotional conversations that you're having mm-hmm. with patients. Is it not? Yeah. yeah. I mean, they are, they are very intense. Um, so like how do you was that difficult in the beginning when you first started doing this like well having these kinds of conversations or um i think the gravity of the conversations um it's more so i i try not i think you're in that room the way i see it you're in there as a provider Mm. you're there to offer answers you know, I can empathize with you at the same time. I have to be there to offer um, a solution. Yeah. Because if I'm there and empathizing with you and having this hard time, it, what, I, yes, it's good to grieve. It's good to mm-hmm. feel bad about ourselves, but what that I wouldn't be accomplishing anything. Uh, but our goal is to offer this kind of guidance. Yeah. 
it's like the shepherd and the flock i always mm. say so it, they are difficult but i've um prior to my job as a pa i worked in clinical research mm -hmm. which is cancer research mm -hmm. and i was exposed to a lot of that conversation mm -hmm. and really there's um uh, there's a real skill in doing so and and we have to be there to guide our patients because they are lost without us yeah yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so Kelvin you have to take me back now like take me back to the beginning when you were just out of high school did you yeah. always know you're going to be a PA or what oh, no. what did it look I, like for you yeah I had no idea <laughs> um yeah I really to be honest like in high school I, I thought I was going some sort of health route I've always wanted to I guess help people mm. um, helping people has always been kind of what I gravitate to but I mean I was graduating high school I worked you know at a worked at an arcade you know and was paying for college and going to college and I I had looked over some of the health fields and I just didn't know exactly what I wanted Mm -hmm. um, and it took me four years of college to figure that out to be honest <laughs> yeah so um I didn't go out with the intention of like oh I could be a doctor it was more like yeah my grades oh they look terrible I don't think I can be a doctor <laughs> um and I don't but I also knew that you know I shadowed some doctors they didn't they didn't like their career a lot mm. to be honest um, I looked at pharmacists. I, so to answer your question, I guided myself towards a health focused career. Okay. Um, but I also looked at other things in politics and social policy, public health. Oh, so truly all. you really just, you were looking for something that would allow you to help people though. Help people and help people and do contribute some way. I never, I didn't really find, um, uh, I wanted to interact with people and uh, what did I like doing overall? Um, so I, I, yeah, that, that was really looking for my career. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I didn't have any intention of being a PA until probably like fourth or fifth year of college. Mm. So that was, I'm 33 now. Oh, we're the so same age. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay, sorry. Side note. <laughs> so I'm 33 now. Um, I. Um. Yeah. I. I around fourth or fifth year in college, I, um, thinking like I, you know, to be immediately, I partied a lot through college and <laughs> just trying to find. But I also, I was trying to find my way of what I want to be, and mm. it was, um, I think. And around fourth or fifth year, I f was I was kind of working odd jobs all through college at UC Davis, and I had found my way to a role of a clinical database. Yes. Okay. Just doing some like surgery because I think I wanted to do something medicine, but I was still kind of confused. Um, so I found my way itself into some surgeon database that was just entering crunching numbers for people. Um, at the medical center and I had met a PA and I never knew what that career was and I looked it up and one day I said you know can I shadow you and oh wow 
And so she, uh, you know, took me under her wing and uh, she kind of showed me what she did. And I was like, you know, I'm, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> you just so, knew right away? Oh, I mean, I thought that I was um, a great choice that, mm. you know, I did exactly want to go to med school. Sure. And, uh, I didn't, but then this was a career that was, um, I still have to go to grad school for, but it was a great career option. It allowed me to uh, go stay in medicine, but also as a PA, you don't have to work in just oncology or just anything specific. I mean, people fall into that, but yeah. it allows you to move in different fields. Mm. And um, honestly, the time span was, it was about three years program. Um, and I thought it was a great career path to shoot for. So uh, you said, could you remind me again? So I, you said your program was three years, but mm -hmm. is there any like steps needed to, to take yeah. before getting into PA school? So usually to get to PA school, you need about um, yeah, minimum 2000 hours of patient care experience. So before getting in? Yeah, before getting in. Oh, okay. So that's something you straight apply to most of PAs want you to have some sort of healthcare experience background, whether oh, it be a nurse, okay. whether it be a paramedic, or what I did is a clinical research. I was working with patients on clinical trials. Okay, gotcha. So I back after going back then, I finished uh, finished college, and I wanted to uh, find a career, and. I graduated and I started working on getting my healthcare experience. Okay. And um, I spent, and also I had to um, kind of almost retake my bachelor's degree because I wasn't, my grades weren't that great. Because right oh now to gosh. get to three school, That's you a need a lot of work. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So I got a, um, I had to, basically take a post-baccalaureate course or just retake a lot of my fundamental classes while gaining my healthcare experience. Mm. But uh, so I was 22 when I graduated, 23, and I got into PA school when I was 28. Okay. So in that six years, wow. um, I spent a lot of time just gaining the healthcare experience I needed and mm -hmm. retaking classes. Um, which was very, uh, actually very fortunate I did that because um, I worked to get to PA school. Um, you have to have, um, you know, usually people can apply with one career. I had multiple careers between them. So it made me appreciate um, the entire healthcare field, mm -hmm. of seeing what nurses do, seeing what MDs do surgeons and made me realize just how expansive the healthcare field is and made me also appreciate PAs and never lost focus of what I need to go to yeah that was my next question like in yeah. that six years of um on your journey on the way to PA school mm -hmm. I feel like there could be some bumps in the road if it were me yeah. like you know feeling a little bit discouraged like oh yeah sure. um at times but it you answered my question you know I was going to ask you so how did you stay focused but yeah um, so yeah, that's actually where I get to my next question. So my next kind of lead is, so I 
after I graduated, um, I worked as, well, I worked as an EMT for a while. Oh, you did? What was that like? (laughs) That that was pretty interesting. Uh, I drove an ambulance around for um, Southern California um, and driving from hospitals to nursing homes. It wasn't like the severe car crashes. It was um, more of like a contracted, I mean, it was a glorified taxi service, but but uh, to to really send people from maybe from nursing homes to the hospital or I see I see maybe uh, they contract these ambulance companies, private ambulance companies to do it. Um, so, but occasionally we would get called to a fire scene and we have to take a person to the ER. I see. Um, but again, that made me appreciate the entire healthcare sector. Yeah. Oh, this is what this person does in the healthcare field all the way to this person. So um, that made me appreciate things and really my first exposure to the working world in healthcare. But I did that for a year and a half. I was working, making like close to the minimum wage. (laughs) Um, And I decided to go back into do some more research actually. Mm. Um, And actually I got a job working and um interning for a while mm-hmm. for free while taking classes uh, this is all post back and i uh became uh got a job working in cancer de- cancer database okay so and that eventually led me to uh, my job in san francisco for four years i was working at uc san francisco um at a top research program and i was running uh clinical trials, which means I was, uh, when someone is sick and they don't have any, as a cancer patient, and Uh they don't have any options for um, treatment, we have experimental treatments that are on the cutting edge, but before we can approve them, they need to be tested. Sure, yeah. Yeah, and I, that's where my first exposure was to working with cancer patients um, and just uh, working there and helping them navigate what a clinical trial is and walking them through side effects of a clinical trial drug. That was my first exposure to cancer patients. And I did that. For okay, a I have few. a few questions. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What yeah. is a cancer database? Yeah, so that was... Cancer database meaning like um, all the patients may be diagnosed with ovarian cancer in the last three years. And they needed someone to just punch in the numbers and do something simple. But there was, I was doing that for a few months and I was promoted to a role of actually working with patients. Okay. And then, so, you know, Calvin, don't judge me. Okay. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, like when I hear clinical trials, I watch a lot of like medical dramas and TV mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, people going to clinical trials, like I know that they can be very helpful, but they're also like kind of in a desperate situation normally, no? Yeah, they are. I think um, actually a lot of physicians and cancer physicians will recommend clinical trials mm. uh, because um it's something new yeah and it's if they've made it past well clinical trials are divided into early phase and late phase and i like almost approved like they would be approved in a few years sure it's just something that 
the regular person wouldn't have access to. I see. At a I regular see. hospital. And, it's and you have to like be accepted, right? Into the tribe? Yep. So that's what I did for mm. a number of years before PA school. I would make sure they met all the criteria, checklist. I see. And really talk to the patient about their eligibility. And that's kind of where I got into the role of really learning to talk to patients and really mm. learning about people. You know, and people in cancer, um, I worked my job doing cancer research. I was working in uh, ovarian cancer and ovarian endometrial gynecological cancer. So it's very, um, unfortunately, it's a very deadly cancer, still a very deadly cancer. Yeah. But it made people in their vulnerable state, um, they open up to you about what's mm-hmm. what they're anxious about. Um, I had patients I just still remember. And I've had patients that reached out to me personally, just wanted to talk and chat and became my friend. Mm. Ultimately, they passed, but, you know, mm. they were, you know, they were very open and it was a really great experience doing wow. that. Yeah. I um, could have stayed in that role, but I kept in my PA role. I want to be the provider prescribing the medication. <laughs> right, but right. Yeah. as a researcher, I was just, you know, I would say just my role was to doc- chart, uh, document and put it and write into a database but I want to be that the provider where they would call me in the middle of the night and say uh, PA Calvin like this is what's going on and what what do we do you know Mm. I could write write the medications and have my own patients to see so that kind of pushed me keep going but also Mm. pushed me in the route that I knew I want to go to to go to be a PA and then work in oncology Wow. Okay. So you definitely already knew going in what kind of specialty you wanted to do. Yeah. Which is rare. Um, a lot of people don't, I mean, some mm-hmm. people do, mm-hmm. but I think, um, for your listeners looking for guidance out there, um, thinking that if they're trying to be, I think my takeaway is don't look at your, the time, maximize the time you have in one place. Don't and see what you've learned from it. If you, if you are continually learning, use that to your, uh, make yourself grow to what you ultimately want to be. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, can I ask you a personal question? Yeah. Um, so Christine shared her story. If you don't, if you, if you're a regular listener on the podcast, Christine Chung is Calvin's sister and, um, she was a surface designer and it was a great interview. Um, and it got personal real fast. She told me her personal story um, mm-hmm. and the challenges that she faced um, being a cancer patient herself. Yeah. And um, I'm curious to mm-hmm. how that affected you. And at what point in this journey towards PA school did that happen? Yeah, it actually happened at the beginning of PA school. So mm-hmm. I was working on cancer before already, mm-hmm. but it made me realize she was diagnosed with a cancer that... Uh, you know, bless her heart. She's fought through it and she's in remission, but it, it she was diagnosed with a blood cancer and I had no working knowledge of that mm. going at all. And mm-hmm. that's what made me in PA school and say, you know, you know, I have so much more to learn. Mm. I have to learn to help understand me and my sister and her diagnoses. I was just at the beginning of PA school. Right. So that was tough for me, but also motivated me to learn what I have to, what I've known so far and what 
how much more I have to learn. And it made uh-huh. me solidify like, you know, this is what I want to do if I become a PA. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it didn't, I mean, it, it didn't motivate me to stay. It motivated me to stay in cancer. Um, if that's kind of, if that helps answer your question. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, Christine was just so gracious to, to be able to share her story so vulnerably. And so I just wanted to ask you how it impacted you, your life. And I didn't know if it had any sway in your decision to stay in the specialty or not, but it turns out it doesn't <laughs> because I mean, you, I, you already I, knew. I knew, but I was always, like, I've looked at other stuff, but going in, but that kind of just made me say like, you know, at the end of the day, this is what, what else do I want to do? I can't see myself doing anything else. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it, it really, I, I think there's, a, as a PA, uh, one of the benefits of going as a PA or is that you aren't specialized to one role. You don't have to do urgent care, which I've done actually. I've worked at urgent care too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to just work in urgent care, family medicine. You can start specializing whatever doctor may need help as long as they're willing to teach you are. Um, okay. Help. I see what you're saying. So like after you graduate PA school, if there's somewhere you want to go and specialize, mm-hmm. um, you're, you have the ability, you have the tools you need to be adaptable. Yeah. Yeah. Right? As a physician, yeah. As a physician, you do a residency, you are kind of almost stuck in that role. Okay. Unless you have to go do another residency, but what you I end up see. doing for residency is basically everything you, you that's all you really are allowed to do like a heart surgeon would go to oncology practice but uh, right as a phys- physician assistant if you have someone willing to train you and you're willing to learn um, you could move you can move to different specialties and that's what I find fascinating about medicine because there's always so much to learn and, no definitely that's yeah. really cool and I mean, like, to me, it's crazy, though, that you learn all that you need or essentially like the basics of what you need yeah. in three years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the basics. Um, but it's the basics of medicine as a, you come out as almost like a general practitioner. Right? Like, that's crazy yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah. So any what really PAs do is, you know. Um, you keep gaining that knowledge after you learn. I see. Um, so if family medicine, there's always stuff to learn. You're always going to be learning. I'm still learning stuff. Even I graduated almost two and a half year, years ago. And while I have background in cancer and cancer research, um, I still have much to learn. There's mm-hmm. always stuff to learn. And I think even if you ask any doctor the first time to get out of practice, like, they they will feel like there's always stuff to learn Mm. anybody in their first field to learn it's not like anybody that comes out of specialty school says i'm ready to go 100 percent." that's what experience and open heart and open mind will do for you yeah so after you graduated pa school and now you're working at the oncology office like was it what you thought it was going to be um I think that also took a learning curve uh, to understand. Uh, it is ex- almost exactly what I thought it'd be, but um, 
you get better at digesting information. It's it's really the day to day pace. You get better at um, remembering things, memorable things as a provider that you should memorable things to know. Like, oh, I remember that patient had this happen to them, so I know not to do that again. But you know the general ideas of oh, this level is high, this is what's going on. That's why in any uh, PA or even a nurse practitioner practice, uh, which we PAs and nurse practitioners were generally accepted on the same level of providers. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you heard of nurse practitioners before. Yes, yes, I've had an MP on actually. Yeah, so PAs and NPs generally are accepted on the same level of uh, care. Um, That's why it's so important in the first couple of years is to have um, a willing and a teaching uh, provider willing that you can ask questions like your whole life you won't stop asking questions even as a doctor if you don't know something you ask questions mm-hmm. to your other yeah. colleagues yeah so um yeah so it's it's always something good to but today there's a dose dosing amount that i'm like okay i wasn't too sure about but in my other practice we do this so i asked my doctor you know mm. Yeah. Um. Wait. Do you? So you're just prescribing, right? You don't have to be like I don't. I don't know. Like you know, mm-hmm. when there is a care plan in place, mm-hmm. like as far as like just some words that I'm familiar with, like chemotherapy and things like that. Um, like you're not there administering, right? No, that's what that's what our uh, lovely nurses. That's okay. Uh, okay. Like our working nurses do. But we are there to know kind of this is the drug we treat for this cancer. This is the drug we treat for this cancer. I see. How long the treatment is. Um, We know the side effects of what they will experience when they get the chemo. Mm -hmm. And um, when, and I would be there to help evaluate, evaluate, okay, how do we know the drug is working or not? Mm -hmm. Well, this is what we do at this time point about three months in how do you know if a drug is working or not sorry it's um, okay how do I do? Uh, well it's really dependent on um i'm trying to make this as kind of um minimal as like understanding as possible yeah sure but uh you know we do series of ct scans do you know what those are yes i do imaging scans uh-huh. report initial report uh we compare each like there might be a mass and uh-huh. if we do ct scans in a set period of time as guided by uh guidance or guidelines it would tell us you know this is new or or if this is shrunken those scans will tell us if it's shrunken or not and there's also like tumor markers we can follow. And those can tell us there's certain tumor markers for cancers, tumor markers for other cancers that can tell us, um, you know, this is what it's working or not. I see. So if something was not working, then you'd have to find just a different care plan. Yep. Yeah, and luckily, you know, it's kind of almost algorithmic, but you know, our the the beauty of our cancer is that there's so many people working on all these cancers all the time and they're developing new treatments for. 
Really? Uh, yeah. It's, it's not just, this is one treatment plan. That's it. There is, if this doesn't work, we'll go to this. But if you have this certain marker, we go to this plan, this plan, this plan. So it's not so much simple that any, any physician can just work down like, oh, we'll go through this plan. There is a series, there are a lot of variations. Like, okay, you can have this kind of cancer, but with this specific mutation, we want to do this plan. Or you could do this plan. And yeah, so it's, it's, it's almost like an algorithm. I see. And you kind of follow that. And okay, let's say this first treatment plan doesn't work. Let's come up with the next treatment plan. There's, and there's second and third line. Um, most of the patients I can see, they've gone up to third or fourth or even five lines of treatment. Wow. And of course, as you get to more lines of therapy, um, as you get to more lines of therapy, there's more and less and less of each time the cancer responds. But, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, cancer is sad. Oh, my God, death. And that's not true. You know, mm. I think people think that. But generally, even with one line of treatment, their cancer can, after five years, become a remission, really doesn't come back. Mm. And we kind of, you know, we've cured someone. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It's those patients that the cancer keeps coming back that we just have to help them guide in the next treatment plan. And that's why I say it's about cancer becoming chronic. Wow. Uh, somebody essentially diagnosed at 60 may die of their cancer at, gosh, maybe depending on the cancer, may, they might die early 62, or they may die late 75, mm. 80. They may wow. have 20 years with the cancer. Mm. It really all depends. Um, yeah. So it's, it all varies. And sometimes it's not always sad stories of you have cancer is that, and I tried to even give them some hope that, you know, we're going to learn to live with this. I'm going to help you guide it. And it goes up back to the guidance. You're the voice of guidance in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and I stress that anybody interested in this particular field, you have to be okay with being that person in the room and being, being the guidance for people, giving direction to people. Um, yeah. So just to help them understand, but you have to say, and also a very stern yet um honest way and i think um there's no sugarcoating about it right it's like so interesting sometimes when i think about doctors or people in the medical field right because like you know you're seeing people usually when they're sickest they're most vulnerable probably a not a good moment right um and you know we're coming to you as people that we trust that know more than us and so um, it is really challenging, I feel like, a spot to be in. But, um, you know, you were just telling me that you truly are passionate about what mm-hmm. you do and yeah. you love it. Um, I think you've gotten through a few points, but ultimately, like, why why do you like what you do so much? Um, I mean, to be honest, this is the, the only field I feel that it's one of the medical fields. I think a lot of people take their health for granted. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, they will like, but you go tell them, hey, you have diabetes, and they're like, okay, and they go outside, you see them drinking milkshake. Sure. <laughs> and you see, like, you know, you have high blood pressure, and then outside they're smoky again. And I get it why some providers can feel burnt out. 
in that kind of care. We need those people, God forbid. We need those people to help us, public health people. But I feel like when you tell someone they have cancer, immediately, like the world stops for them mm-hmm. and they, they are lost. They don't know how, they know, like, what do I do? What's going on? I don't know anything going on. Like, I need your help. And I think this is the only role I've ever done where, um, and it's okay, even I say, I don't know sometimes. I don't know how long you're going to live. It's okay for people to say, I don't know. Uh, but we're going to find out why. And But even as my role as a cancer provider, um, I enjoy my role because I feel like I have the most impact with people's health problems. Yeah, yeah. no, I would agree. <laughs> yeah. People immediately hear what you have to say. Um, and you can be, um, you may sound mean, but you're being honest and people at the end of the day respect honesty. Yeah. I mean, that's what they want to hear too. They don't want someone to beat around the bush at that point of their Mm -hmm. diagnosis as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay. So I have to ask you, what, is there anything you like least about your job? Um, If there's anything I like least about it, I think there is the creeping I'm trying. It, it makes me hard, really hard to think of something. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I, think it, I think it's, if anything, it's always the, I think fin- financial and I think it comes down to financial sense. Like people are denied certain medications oh. um, because uh, of their insurance. Sure. Um, it comes down to the financial aspect. Um, Red tape red tape regarding uh, and I get it there's a reason why there's a certain sensible practice but sometimes usually we get things approved but there's tape there for a reason but I don't like having to cut through it yeah yeah patients will there's they have to wash the charges but you want you and your husband you want the best care for your kids right you don't want but you don't want to hear about you know you know, that's how much it costs. Like, well, insurance will take care of it, but we're on the back end kind of dealing with it. And same thing, like, you don't want a substandard drug, but you also don't want the most expensive drug. So it's it, that, that waves into another topic, but it's it's a topic that unfortunately gives me the most stress too. Yes, no, you're yeah, definitely not on. the first um, person in the medical field or any kind of... <laughs> Um, what do I say? Policy making people like yeah. everyone the same answer is usually the same red tape. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Um, I think that's usually that's that's the thing. It's um, having to deal with those people is the worst. So right, because like you just want to help, but it's out of your hands. Like you have no yeah, and they un- and to be honest, they understand too. Mm. Um, it's just that you know that's the system our works on we work on i mean if i can give any for everybody the same thing the same access to everything that'd be great um but unfortunately that's not how our system works yeah but um i overall i do love my job um i can't i maybe can see myself doing something else but it's it comes back to something i'm familiar with and um it's always the patients the patients that are provide me the most interesting stories everybody has an interesting story today 
of uh, just everybody has a different family member. Um, what do they do for work? I like asking about, you know, what you guys do for Christmas and who's coming to your visit with you. All those things are important to me because it helps yeah. me learn about that person as a whole. Um, whereas um, I worked in urgent care in the ER. In the ER, it's I see them, I never see them again, you know. Mm-hmm. It's kind of sad. It makes me wonder, like, whatever happened to that patient? Yeah, and yeah. I like that personal connection. Um, and if you feel like you should have a personal connection with someone, it's, it's this is a field to go into. Um, yeah. Emotional IQ, I guess. <laughs> Definitely. Um, well, I feel like you gave us a lot of advice, but I do usually end my talks with people asking that question. If you do you have any like just advice for somebody it could be life advice or just like anybody thinking about wanting to go into the field of um oncology as a PA um I think if you want to be a PA a PA in general uh just make sure you want to do it because you want to be a PA Mm. um don't be motivated by the money uh the money will come there's a lot of ways I can make you can People are in Asian family, like I'd say, you know, you you have to have be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, right? <laughs> so I think don't focus on the money. If you find passion in what you're doing, you can make a good living with it. Um, and to find that passion, you may have to take some weirder jobs. No one's going to find their passion job day one. You know? um, take what you do, learn from it reevaluate every now and then say what else do I want to do what could I do what I what I really want to do and don't be afraid to really quit that job and find something else yeah that's um really great advice I think for me it's always like I have I struggle with like the fear of failure but I'm learning (laughs) that making mistakes is really beneficial too and i i'm even trying to teach my kids like it's okay like no big deal but i feel like i don't know how you grew up it's okay but what have you learned from it right right but i feel like growing up i don't know like you know my perfectionism was held to a high you know applauded and you know Mm -hmm. congratulated but when i messed up it was kind of like oh like kind of frowned upon Um, in my house just growing up and um, I find myself wanting to do that with younger people that I know but a lot of the people my guests have been like no man who cares just fail yeah I I honestly (laughs) like going to Davis like undergrad I had terrible grades um, (laughs) coming out Uh, but I worked hard to make make up for it and not actually what I did yeah Um, and uh, you know people would say you know in those six years you're working a full-time job and going to school full-time but you know I had a goal in mind and um, I knew what I wanted to do and even though I was working these menial jobs or just jobs that I knew I wouldn't stay in you know what else can I learn from it Mm. so just stay just always learn from it and I could have easily not been PA but it's and I would have still been happy with the other jobs, but just what have you learned from each job? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or even you won't find that perfect career off the first bat. Most people don't, right? <laughs> you didn't say right, I want right. to be a podcaster. That's no, okay. definitely not. <laughs> That's okay. 
<laughs> yeah. That's totally okay. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much again, Calvin. <laughs> I I was wondering um, if there is anybody that maybe has some questions about your line of work or being a PA, would you mind if I connected you with them through email or something? Yeah, you can also, I'm on LinkedIn too. So. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I'm over at, uh, in the Southern California area. Um, anybody interested in the PAPA or how to become a PA uh, about the healthcare field in general, what their roles of becoming or if they want to do, then just go ahead and I have a LinkedIn. I can send it to you, my email. Awesome. Can, uh, I'm not sure if LinkedIn goes into that, but you can just message me through there. Okay, sounds good. Well, guys, you heard it here. If you guys have any questions or have any comments about this episode, feel free to reach out to me and I'll connect you with the right person. Um, you can DM me on social media or email me at podcastwigu at gmail.com. Thanks again, Calvin. Thanks, guys. Until next time. Thanks.